hello friends welcome to a very special episode of the ost party this week we do have to uh give a eulogy to the late great uh norm mcdonald a comedian who was very important to my sort of formative years developing a a, a sense of humor and a voice for myself when i was a kid um i remember being uh, one of those kids who just loved watching weekend update and just internalizing his his like delivery and his sense of humor and it kind of developed my own personal uh like deadpan here's your two dollars Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of your favorite movie soundtracks. My name is Joseph Wade. I'll be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight is my lovely and belligerent co-host Libby Cudbore. Libby, welcome to the show. Uh, that's, uh, that's not my name. <laughs> not my name. <sighs> Turd Ferguson, welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, it's good to be here. I'm sad that uh sad that it has to be under such a sad occasion. Uh we were planning to do Gross Point Blank with uh special guest Mackenzie Cassidy, but with the news that Norm Macdonald uh died after a nine year battle with cancer uh earlier this week, we thought it was appropriate to finally get around to covering one of our favorite movies. Uh 1998's Dirty Work. I'm talking about that soundtrack. Yes, and uh, so we switched out one special guest for another. Uh, joining us tonight on the show is my Christmas Creeps co-host, Jonathan Five, the human robot. Hey, what's up? Hey, John, how are you tonight? Oh, it's a bummer. It is. It is, it is. but uh, when, when we realized we were going to start doing Dirty Work, uh, there was only one person I could think of to contact, and that was John, because he's the one... You know, Libby and I do, you know, we text back and forth dirty work lines to each other because they're just so funny. And <laughs> Jonathan and I do the same thing sometimes. Yes. Now, Jonathan, I'm going to start texting you dirty work lines. Okay. <laughs> uh, such, such is the, the, the dirty work fandom, I guess. That's, that's, that's what we do here is we. Though we are small, we are mighty. <laughs> yes. There are dozens of us. Dozens. <laughs> Uh, so, folks, yeah, from la our last episode, we don't really have any polls to uh, discuss, but we had a great time sharing our favorite uh, Muppet songs with everybody. And it seemed like everybody had a good time with that episode. Yeah, they did. And uh, we asked people what their favorite Muppets were. We got a lot of people love Gonzo. Uh, Peppy the Prawn yeah. made some appearances. A lot of love for Fozzie. And so, yeah, that was a, a good time. It's always nice to see what Muppets people enjoy yeah and like i got a i got a random text in the middle of the night from uh our other christmas creeps co-host bradford and it just said what is the best muppet movie and why is it great muppet caper that's fair gotta gotta respect that yeah can't argue that yeah uh so yeah tonight we're gonna be talking about dirty work a movie that doesn't actually have a soundtrack album per se but there's tons of great music in the movie there's tons of music in the movie. Okay, fine. 
There are at least four good songs in this in this movie. <laughs> I will go out on the, I'll go that far out on the limb. There are at okay. least four good songs. <laughs> uh, but I say that to say this: there's no billboarding school because there's no soundtrack album, which is very surprising because there were a lot of hits on this, and it is very much an album that is. So solidly 1998, I cannot believe they didn't press a CD of it. That just doesn't make any sense. I think if there were three more songs featured in the movie, it could have gotten one. Maybe. Possibly, yeah. But also, I think part of the reason for that is because this movie came out at a time when Norm MacDonald was kind of... um, Persona non grata. That's perfect, yes. Persona non grata in the eyes of uh, people like... Uh, Lauren Michaels and the higher ups at NBC because like Dirty Work came out in 98 like right after he had gotten the boot from Saturday Night Live for oddly enough um being honest about the fact that OJ Simpson is a murderer his uh his friends at NBC didn't like that in his book OJ Simpson says that he would have taken a bullet or stood in front of a train for Nicole man I'm gonna tell you that is some bad luck when the one guy who would have died for you kills you that's probably yeah not too much so uh once norm got the boot from snl then when dirty work came out the uh the directive from nbc was like do not advertise this movie at all which is crazy and again joe if you murdered someone i would not defend you i wouldn't want to hang out with you jonathan if you murdered your wife i'm i wouldn't want to hang out with you i murdered karen either like man that would yeah. No, then I have to like go out and talk to other people out in the world. Oh, yeah. I. That's why I got married, so I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, fair. Yeah. I just feel like that would be a real definitive end to our friendship. But apparently, it wasn't for the higher ups at NBC, and they'd rather get rid of Norm Macdonald, who did not murder his spouse, <laughs> than not be friends with O.J. Simpson, who murdered his spouse, his ex-spouse, and her boyfriend. So, Libby, uh, just walk us through real quick. What is dirty work? Dirty Work is about two slackers, Mitch and Sam, who start a revenge for hire business in order to raise $50,000 to get uh, their dad uh, a new heart. It's that simple. It's literally that simple. Apparently, this is based on a Roald Dahl story. Which I did not learn until today. Yeah, literally today. And that, that means it's a good movie. Because so, it's based on literature. Yeah, so the, 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 the top ten list of best Roald Dahl adaptations, like it's like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Dirty Work. Matilda and none others. Exactly. So how did you guys first come to Dirty Work? Jonathan, why don't you go first, since you're our guest. I sat in the theater by myself when I was, let's say, four, 13 or 14, and <laughs> had a grand old time. Now, when you say by yourself, like your friends didn't go with you or you were literally the only person in the theater. I was literally the only person in the theater. It was great. That is perfection. But like, like what drew you to dirty work at, at 13 by yourself? Because I was one of those dire, dire, horrible children who really liked Weekend Update, Norm MacDonald. Well, you're in good company here because I think that's that, mm-hmm. that says uh, that's all three of us. Yeah. Just a certain age range and a certain type of brain worms that just gets you. Yeah, pretty much. Libby, what about you? I actually don't remember how I first saw it. Um, it was either my ex rented it and we watched it, and my guess is he hated it because he did not have a sense of humor. 
or I watched it at the video store where I worked. Um, and I'm going to guess it was probably closer to that because I remember my friend Courtney and I quoted it all the time. And that would have been probably my freshman year of college. So I'm going to guess I watched it at the video store. Joe, what about you? So, yeah, like John, I was a weirdo, diehard uh, Weekend Update fan in the late 90s, 12 or 13, I guess, when uh, I discovered that Norm MacDonald had made a movie and I rented it from the video store. And I swear to you now, I think Dirty Work might be the movie I have rented most from a video store in my life. Norm MacDonald would be proud of you. And this, this too, you know, living in a household where my parents definitely knew how to copy videotapes. <laughs> I still rented it more than I should have <laughs> to the point where I eventually, yeah, I, I bought it and, you know, the world is my oyster now. I had this on VHS and I think the copy I have came from the video store when they uh, got rid of all their VHS tapes. Oh, nice. I don't know what happened to that tape. I'm sure it's long gone, but my husband bought this on DVD, which means I married the right man. There you go. That's that, that's how you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do we want to structure this the soundtrack conversation then? Because I the, think just go through the the movie. Go through the movie. Okay. Yeah. We can do that. So, the movie starts off uh in the past with child Mitch getting revenge on some people who bullied him as a child. So, they plant guns in a bully's desk, which seems so quaint in a weird way. Think how few school shootings there had been in 1998 that you could make that joke. Even like the point where like, like child Mitch says like, Hey, do you know where your dad keeps his guns? (laughs) It's like, no, no, not like that. Yeah. They (laughs) They have to, they have to go, they have to immediately like assure you, like, we're not going to shoot anybody. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's a crossing guard that likes to grab little kids asses. And so he puts super glue on his pants and catches the crossing guard. Uh, you know, adorable Moppet stuff like that. But then he's grown up and he is just a slacker and is Norm MacDonald. He's a, and, he's a pizza yeah. delivery driver. Yes. And working for Aldo's Pizza, where it's 30 minutes or free. And of course, doesn't make it. But... When he tells Aldo this, uh, you know, all the other pizza chains have gotten rid of their 30-minute guarantee. And so should we. And there's a reason they did that. And that's because people died. Yeah. People ran over pedestrians trying to get people pizzas in 30 minutes. Right. And, like, that works in certain neighborhoods. But, like, when you try to implement that all across America, not going to go so well. Like Yeah. So Aldo would rather people die than Norm MacDonald be too late. Two minutes late with the pizza. I'm sorry, Mitch Weaver. Well, I mean, Mitch did try to butter Aldo up by by telling him the customer made like said some nasty things about that Mussolini character. <laughs> but here's actually where we get our, our first song as um, Mitch's girlfriend is breaking up with him and throwing all his stuff with the window. It's uh, Semi-Charmed Life by uh, Third Eye Blind. Let's go to a clip. She lives and she goes and she lives for me Says she lives for me, ovation Who own motivation? She comes out and she 
reminder that it is as 1998 as it is ever gonna get oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> one of those songs that you literally could not get away from in 1998 no it was absolutely everywhere and like half this soundtrack honestly seems like a middle school dance <laughs> yeah it is the soundtrack to a middle school dance when did jagged little pill come out uh 95 i think so in three years is how long it took before you could talk about going down on people on the radio because they totally don't censor that part of the song when they play it. No. Yeah, that's, that's true. Right. Yeah. Oh boy. Um... <laughs> but the version I watched on YouTube did make did make great pains to censor the one time he says crystal meth, which is really funny because that's what the entire damn song's about. Yeah, it's. I I think honestly, this is the best song uh, about crystal meth. I mean, when you think about songs that are about crystal meth, this really ranks very high. Compared to what else? I don't know. Are other songs about crystal meth? Uh, I, I, vamp while I Google this. <laughs> I mean, the Peony Claw song's probably about meth. I mean, <laughs> what else would they be together? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the Reverend Horton Heat has written a song about meth. Are you telling me that there's that there's a band called Buck Cherry and they don't have a song about crystal meth? The dude looks like crystal meth. He is all the faces of meth in one person. Check up, like, Dave Navarro's tenure with Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, half the songs are probably about meth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, meth was, like, the, the hot new drug in the 90s, and, like, we hadn't even gotten to Breaking Bad yet. Yeah. So American-made crystal meth. Yeah. We need to reduce our dependence on foreign drugs. All I know is I'm pretty sure the crystal meth had never wrote a song about crystal meth, which seems like a missed opportunity. I agree. Um, to get a sense of how ubiquitous Semi-Charmed Life was... It was featured in the films Contact, Excess Baggage, Wild Things, Gili, Game Night, The Lovebirds, American Pie, A Lot Like Love, and in the trailer for, and I swear to God I am not making this up, the Tigger movie. <laughs> you, you know, in the, in the pantheon of movies that are definitely about crystal meth, the Tigger movie is like top five. Yes, and they explained like oh we didn't realize it was sexual content like one how did you not that song had been around for a while and everybody knows that that song is about sex and crystal meth there's a pretty good reason why tigger keeps seeing heffalumps everywhere i'm just saying <laughs> and bounce it all around yeah oh yeah he's tweaking yeah oh my god <laughs> meth is what tiggers do best <laughs> it's such a catchy song like i don't love it but you have to sing along with it when it's on. It's the law. It's all the doot do doos Yeah, it's got a great hook. <laughs> Third Eye Blind actually played at the State Fair here in New York this year. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> well, Crystal Math. Well, yeah, but I mean, State Fair. <laughs> I But what better place to represent Crystal Math? <laughs> okay, that's fair than enough. Upstate New York State Fair. Okay, so State Fair, Third Eye Blind compared to gin blossoms trade show which is more dire jonathan i told you that no actually i told that in the podcast never mind that is i'll say state fair because you know people had to pay money to get into the state fair but it, no they didn't it was on the free day damn it it was a free show correct joe i don't know then it's just that the gin blossoms are good, and Third Eye Blind is meh, and their better song is uh, Never Let You Go, despite the 
sing talking in the middle. I, I'm not going to. I will 100% co sign that. However, I will say Third Eye Blind are American folk heroes because for some reason they were hired to play the Republican convention in 2016 and trolled the entire convention by not playing a single goddamn hit. <laughs> we salute our brave heroes. Yeah. We played Jumper eight blind. times in a row. <laughs> My ex put that on a mix for me. I'm not kidding. Before or after the breakup? The first year we were dating. Okay. Don't kill yourself, Libby. Well, I guess it's like, don't kill yourself. I know you're dating me and that's depressing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what was, listen, if you do not want to see me again, I would understand. All right, I'll take the hint. It was like track three. I can't explain it. Aaron, come on this podcast and explain yourself. Defend yourself. We'll have a moment when we, when we do an episode about Star Wars. <laughs> But this goes immediately from Semi-Charmed Life. Again, just to remind you, it's 1998, and it's going to be 1998 forever. So Mitch has been dumped by his girlfriend for losing his job at the pizza place. And for also having a soundtrack involving Semi-Charmed Life. Of course. I mean... For driving around listening to Semi-Charmed <laughs> What are you going to do? It's Canada. <laughs> so... <laughs> he goes, he goes and, and stays with his friend Sam, who's played by Artie Lang, which I, I must comment on because, like, at the time, I remember thinking, like, this movie was, like, the, the like, nexus of SNL and Mad TV was having Norm MacDonald and Artie Lang in the same movie. I also, and I certainly don't wish anything bad upon Artie Lang. Artie Lang is, you know, probably a perfectly nice guy. But it seems weird that Norm MacDonald died before Artie Lang did. <laughs> I, I don't know how to make a joke about that without sounding like a horrible asshole, but yeah, yeah. I think Artie Lang would feel the same way. I mean, maybe crack just gives you superpowers. I don't know. Yeah, poor. And I I'm sure Artie is is hurting terribly. So um, yeah. I'm sure this was not easy for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but God bless you, Artie Lang. We're just we're we're glad you're still around. Yes, but so Mitch is commiserating with Sam at Sam's house. While we're here, we meet uh, Pops. Yes, who's played by a uh, World War II veteran boxer and character actor jack warden one of the 12 angry men himself yes who fucking kills it in this role just fully commits he's fantastic like this movie is filled with like great lifers doing just a plus work (laughs) all around while we're on the subject just very quickly because we're at the nexus of the title and old guys uh i want to note that steely dan's dirty work is not on this soundtrack Hmm. It's a little too classy for this picture. So get Smash Mouth to do it. It's 1998. There are no fucking rules. Point taken. I, I agree. <laughs> this scene has one of my favorite sight gags, and I, I'm a sucker for a good sight gag. Um, because you know he's talking about how you know he wishes that the boys would bring him a lady companion that he could exchange currency with. In order to facilitate a sexual encounter. But it'd be going a lot better if you brought me a whore. Sam says, oh, I thought you couldn't. He pulls out a magazine called Impotent Old Men and Whores. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, that cracks me up also that there's a really good article about stereo equipment. <laughs> yeah, he gets <laughs> that he's saving for Sam. But that that's like the most that's the most dad thing he does in the entire movie because like my dad's done that before too like he's given me like magazine articles like hey this is for you <laughs> he does it all the time it's from hustler <laughs> yeah oh yeah dads love nothing more than giving you a magazine article 
Here's here's a review for a movie you've never heard. It's from it's from Hustler magazine. But I I love that. I love those like you know. It's adorable. Those visual gags. And, and I wonder where that is. Like I want I want I, that framed. I love magazine like visual gags like that so much. Like one of the best jokes in Billy Madison is just all is nudie magazine day. The entire sequence. Mm-hmm. The Simpsons was very big on like pamphlet and magazine gags like that. They were always great. Yeah, that's my favorite sight gag is always a magazine gag. And, and the lower that... the lower the effort, the better the joke is. <laughs> yes, it's always the, the case. Like who publishes impotent old men and whores? <laughs> like is that Condé Nast? Is it? <laughs> I need to know. Uh, Larry Flint was having a big year that year. That could have yeah. been him. And is it like is it a monthly? Is it a quarterly? I have a lot of Ooh, questions. It's an annual, probably. I mean, I would subscribe to Sensible Chuckle if it was real. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I like you, Jonathan. I like you a lot. Oh boy. <laughs> but um Yes, yeah, so, so Sam and Mitch go to the bar to commiserate, and we meet another one of our uh, favorite character actors sitting at the bar next to Mitch. It's Chris Farley. Oh, another long gone, late, great. Another person who died far too soon. Yes, indeed. And he's playing a character named Jimmy, whose whole character is that he got his nose bitten off by a Saigon whore. You bastard! (laughs) And he's got the little nose, like the half nose prosthetic. Uh, let's just say the as a warning as the two most 90s things about this movies are there are a lot of um uncouth words for sex workers used yes. and there are a lot of jokes where the punchline is that um somebody is gay unfortunately yes yeah, half the jokes in this movie are haha that person is a prostitute or haha that person is gay mm. unfortunately yeah and unfortunately that was just how we rolled in the 90s because we were terrible. Mm-hmm. I blame so. Bill Clinton. It's fair. Don't ask, don't tell, just laugh at it. Yeah. But we also hear our next track in the bar, which is uh, Better Than Ezra's Good. Let's yes. go to a clip. Well, maybe I'm just too sure. Or maybe I'm just too Now, this seems like a very specific uh, reference joke, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Because Norm has a really great joke about Better Than Ezra. Really? I don't know this. And in music news, number one on the college charts this summer was Better Than Ezra. And at number two, Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> I, wanna, I, I hope so. Um, I'm sure it had probably more to do with this place and time and whoever owned the rights. But we're going to pretend that that was a special tribute to Norm MacDonald. Yeah, I want to say that was like a Norm request specifically. Yes. And I really, I love Better Than Ezra. Um, Not as much as I love the Gin Blossoms, but this, I love this song. Yeah, it's in that same vein. Yeah, for sure. I've always enjoyed it too. Like it's always been one of those songs that it 
when you hear it, you immediately think of like the mid '90s alt rock. Like it's just, yeah. just this is the poster child for mid '90s alt rock, basically. It feels good to listen to, and um, they wrote it sort of about thinking fondly on a relationship that has ended. Yeah, and I appreciate that because uh, every relationship ending song in the world is either like thank god i'm out of that garbage relationship or like i'm sad and i will never be happy again and also i just spent the entire evening listening to joy division and so i'm like immersed in sad breakup songs because that's all they wrote oh i figured you're gonna talk about green day <sighs> okay, i was thinking like i was thinking in the 90s you have your choice you either have good rins or you have good you gotta pick one was your breakup good or bad i've gone through some bad breakups all I can say is, yeah, good riddance. Yeah. No, I'm going to go with good because my ex listened to good riddance when we broke up. So fuck that song. <laughs> oh, I'm going to say fuck that song all, you know, six ways from Sunday. But I can't say they're not wrong about it. You know? <laughs> I guess. But um... it's like the worst person, you know, just made a great point. That whole thing. <laughs> But the thing is, I didn't have the time of my life. I was about to have the time of my life. Uh, well, that's that part of the song is sarcastic. We're talking more about good riddance than we are about good. Uh, yeah. But there's not a I whole lot. I don't think he understood that. There's not a whole lot to say about good because yeah, it's pretty good. I like to say the video is I, I can't tell if it's just because it's 480 or what. Like, is the video supposed to intentionally be blurry like they filmed it through Vaseline? Probably. Like, the, was that the intent? Was that the intent in the '90s, or is it just like resolution has not done it well? The, ca- the cameraman had like cataracts or something. And the video is also one of the most like I'm in college in the late '90s things imaginable. They're just running around San Francisco with a Polaroid. Yeah. Oh my god. Like this wants to be like a Pearl Jam video so bad. This wants to be a Wes Anderson movie so bad. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah. But I, I do. I will go to bat for better than Ezra. And the sooner they release Deluxe on vinyl, uh, the sooner I'll be happy. I do have Friction Baby on vinyl, which has my other favorite better than Ezra song, which is Desperately Wanting. Ah, nice. So good. At this point, <laughs> at this point in the movie, our, our hero Mitch meets uh, his love interest uh, for the film, whose name escapes me at the moment. Mildred. It's Kathy. <laughs> Both of but those yeah, are correct. <laughs> one more than the other no it's um it's trailer howard from two guys a girl in a pizza place and monk after biddy shram left yes that's true that's true but mitch mitch starts to have to you know meet cute with her meanwhile uh sam starts to pick a fight with a bunch of frat boys over another girl at the bar and mitch joins him in this fight <laughs> and then jimmy who i'm sorry i'm just gonna start calling him chris farley chris farley gets up and goes to the the uh, the jukebox to play it put on a song. We'll just go ahead and play that clip. Let's do it. Looks like there's gonna be a brawl. You playing something good? Hell yeah! Rolling Stones, Street Fighting Man, G. Stephens. You just hit G eight. If you like pina coladas, bring it out. Oh. Hey, how come you get a pool cue? This is legitimately my favorite fight scene 
outside of Roadhouse. A fight scene set to the Pina Colada song. How do you not love that? It's, oh, no, it's it's wonderful. It's such a fabulous contrast. And I love I, Norm's whole, like, shtick throughout the whole thing. Like, hey, why don't you get a pool cue? And then they just beat the hell out of him with it. Yeah, they get their asses firmly kicked. Now, I hate the Pina Colada song, um, which is technically called Escape, parentheses, the Pina Colada song. It's by Rupert Holmes. And it is the worst song ever. Yeah. I hate it. I hate the premise of it that these two people decide to cheat on each other and find that they're perfect for each other. And I so hate it's about that. Kevin Smith. <laughs> oh boy. I don't get that reference, but I like it. They're cheating on each other with each other. Yes. I get that. Okay. We've made I the had... joke. There is, there is not a tasteless joke that we cannot unblock from your mind. That is that is the power of this friendship. Thank you. You will be very sorry soon. Like, this this song is the worst though, and it really is. It's a very good contrast. I I really can't think of another song that would have been better here. Yes, because it's such a not only is it incongruous, it's a bad song. Yes, and that makes me sort of love it in a weird way. It's it's, it's sort a, of like it's a yeah. great like comedic cue. Yes, but and especially because now when I hear it, I think of the fight scene in Dirty Work. It's sort of like how um, one of my friends uh, called me Uptown Girl in mm. a text. And so now every time I hear Uptown Girl, I think of him, and that's not fair, and that's playing dirty. That's that's a crime. I know. I, was, I, I can't believe he would do this. Do me like this, but here we are. <laughs> here we are. It must also be noted too, like with the like the fight choreography and stuff like that. Anytime that you see Norm get thrown through like a plate glass window or something, it always looks like it hurts so much. Like how, yes, whoever, and, however they shot that, it's so good. And he gets thrown a lot. That is a running gag throughout. Mm-hmm. He gets this film thrown into dumpsters. He gets thrown out of doorways and windows, and mm-hmm. it's wonderful. and um, Sam usually just walks out. Yeah. But they pick up Mitch and just chuck him through a window. Why not? And it this is immediately followed as the frat boys return to the frat house um, with Chumbawamba's Top Thumping. Yeah. Again, it is violently 1998. Let's go to a clip. playing tub thumping at a frat house is accurate and also completely not in the spirit in which Chumbawamba meant it. Oh, not at all. There is at least an episode, if not a whole season, of Upright Citizens Brigade about tub thumping just being a song that, like, melts your brain. That's fair. And also, those guys are just, like, hardcore anarchists and they would not want this. (laughs) true story I, yeah i don't know i think i remember like hearing like an interview with them at some point where they said um like on the one hand yes the song is sort of this weird commercial thing that they never really intended but also you know what we're gonna take that money and run so whatever. <laughs> i heard they burned it all on the beach 
probably knowing those people yeah, yeah. sure apocryphal <laughs> so they're why that movie exists <laughs> yeah it had nothing Yikes. to do with leo fighting sharks they just wanted to, they just had Chumbawamba on the beach burning money <laughs> pulling a curtis lemansky um this song again middle school dance Oh, yeah. I'm sure they didn't actually play it at middle school dances because it talks so much about drinking, but I remember hearing this song all the fucking time. I can tell you from experience, I went to many middle school dances where they did play this. Okay. I just, I'm trying to, it's all sort of in that, like, brains, too. Mm -hmm. That is. Another song they played at middle school dances, yes. Yes. And I can no longer parse out what is real and what I have imagined from film. The thing is, is I would imagine they wouldn't play this at a middle school dance because they say piss a couple of times, not even because of the part about the drinking. No. Yes, but apparently they did play it at middle they school They did. I, I recall this because I distinctly remember uh, them, like a bunch of kids deciding it was really funny to actually like fling themselves to the ground and then get up and do it again because they say it in the song. And then, t- and then like the chaperones having to yell at them and say, stop doing that. That's stupid. Well, they shouldn't have played top thumping if they didn't want people to get knocked out and exactly. then get up again. Exactly. I do what I'm told. I mean, what? <laughs> the better Chumbawamba song is uh, Amnesia. And everybody knows uh, it. Yeah, agreed. Apparently, um, this album was the first CD that Michael Sarah ever bought. That was in an interview with him. And I, do, I don't remember anything else about the interview except that this was the first CD he bought. I have a memory of this cd christmas of 97 i got two cds for christmas my parents gave me like a little disc man and two cds one of them was the score to star wars episode four a new hope the other was tump thumper and that was my taste in music for about three or four months after after that christmas that explains everything i know about you doesn't it yes i feel like i've unraveled a mystery my sister Hillary really liked this album a lot. Additional details. The third CD I ever owned was Nimrod by Green Day. That was the first yeah. CD I ever owned. There you go. <laughs> the first CD I ever owned, first CD I ever bought was Savage Garden. The first CDs I ever owned, courtesy of my much cooler sister, were The County Crows, August and Everything After, mm-hmm. and 10,000 Maniacs, MTV Unplugged, which primed me for being the sad girl that I have continued to be. That does explain a lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it paints a <laughs> paints a mental picture, yeah. Yes, indeed, of a girl who wears all black and berets and listens to Joy Division on Saturday nights. Does not paint a picture of a girl whose second favorite comedy is Dirty Work. But Libby Cudmore is a land of contrast. <laughs> so anyway, our boys are are partying it up at the frat house, and Mitch and Sam decide to seek their revenge by. A, dressing up as cops. B, calling the frat house and telling them that cops or people dressing up as cops are go- are going around and robbing frat houses. And then C, calling the real cops <laughs> on the frat house. <laughs> to the point where he says, "Hello, real cops." <laughs> That's my that might be my favorite joke in the movie. And only <laughs> It's a very Norm Macdonald joke. Yes, and only because like and it's been pointed out elsewhere like it's it is very clearly like Norm Macdonald's utter disdain for like having to act in a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wrote this movie wanting to direct it, not be in it. Which is crazy because I can't imagine anybody else delivering these lines 
Yeah. These are Norm MacDonald lines. They're Norm MacDonald jokes. But he was obviously a star at this point, so of course he's going to have to be in it. Do you think this movie would have been more successful if he hadn't been in it? No. I think it would have been more successful if they had, had allowed it to have an R rating like they wanted. Okay. Well, because if he wasn't in it, um, and obviously Bob Saget directed it, then NBC might have promoted it. That's well, that's true. But then the I, thing is, if, if he wasn't in it, he would wanting to, he was wanting to direct it himself though, and I can't imagine who else you'd put in this role, like even as a hypothetical, like. Well, it would have to be a, an SNL person. It'd end up being Adam Sandler, and it'd be terrible. Maybe. But it'd make a billion dollars, and there'd be ten sequels. Because if there wasn't an SNL person in this, like I cannot imagine NBC advertising a movie starring that guy from that other comedy, that sketch comedy show. You know. You know what? It would have been uh, David Spade. Oh man, that's a bummer. I don't know how to feel Is about it? that. Yeah, I'm sort of like, hmm. It, I might have liked a David Spade-led dirty work. I don't. It would have been David Spade and Chris Farley, and Artie Lang would be playing Jimmy. We could have had it all. <sighs> oh well. Um, that's it. That's, Bye. That's, it. that's the show, everybody. We actually get one more song here. This is a these uh, couple scenes this, are really loaded. But the opening ten minutes is yeah very front loaded. We've got uh. It's called Tune In Round Window. By Flex. Let's go to a clip. I have a note here in my notes. It says smash mouth during fight scene because that's what this sounded like. And I was about to get so mad because again, 1998 and I was so relieved. I cannot tell you how relieved I was to find out that this is not in fact smash mouth and is in fact the band, uh, flex. And there is no information on them anywhere. The only other thing I know about this song that I could find is that it apparently appears on the Malcolm in the Middle TV soundtrack. Which makes it the most late 90s thing to ever exist. Oh, yeah. And it sounds uh, like it. Like It sounds so like late 90s generic. I thought it was just like a random piece of music they made up for the movie. Yes. And it was only the vocals that tripped me up. Um, but once I found out that it was not, in fact, Smash Mouth, I was able to sit back and enjoy it a little more. <laughs> This man has never eaten all the eggs. I'm sorry, Steve Smashmouth didn't even eat the eggs. <laughs> he didn't. Um, I bet Flex could do a great version of Do It Again. <laughs> or they could do Dirty Work featuring Chevy Chase's old bard bandmates, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker. Maybe. The world will never know. Yeah. I just, again, I feel like you have a movie called Dirty Work starring a guy who used to be in Steely Dan and you don't put Dirty Work in there. It just seems rude. Yeah, it's. And before the Dandum gets all mad, I understand that Chevy Chase was not actually in Steely Dan. He was in Leather Canary, and they played like a couple shows. So back off. I'm the fucking queen of the Dandum. Do not get up in my shit. Yeah, and you know what? He's Chevy Chase, and you're not. <laughs> 
the Dandem is full of assholes, frankly. <laughs> there, I've made a Chevy Chase reference, and we can move on. We can move on. Because, yes, this is where we meet Chevy Chase. Well, does anybody else want to weigh in on... Uh, this this song kind of passed me over, to be honest. Like, it's one of those songs like, oh, this was in the movie? Oh, okay, okay. I, I don't remember what was in the movie now. Yeah. It's, uh... it's the problem with having so many big... Like, it's the problem with having, like, good and thumb-thumping and burnout and so much of life in the movie is... Songs that aren't those just kind of like, was that in the movie too? Yeah, it would be filler. Um, like, but like if you had told me I, this was the, the, if you had told me this was by like Funk Junkies or Stereo MCs or Big Audio Dynamite, <laughs> I would have said, "Yep, you're probably right." Sure, it is. See, I was thinking Electricy. Okay, would have been my next guess. So, uh, yeah, um, it's it's yeah. it's very it's 1998. Mm-hmm. It's all I can say. Yeah. That really seems to be the resounding theme here. Now, unfortunately, um, Pops has a heart attack as they're telling him about, uh, you know, kicking all these frat guys' asses. And Dr. Farthing, who's played by Chevy Chase, tells them that he can get Pops a new heart for $50,000 to pay off his gambling Did you say $50,000? No. I whispered $50,000. So they, they start trying like any any job, any scheme they can get to start making money by going to a, like a research lab and, t- and being guinea pigs for like eating brownies. <laughs> and the brownies, you know, they, they give Sam kind of an itch on the back of his neck. Mitch, on the other hand, is freaking the fuck out. He and is full on hallucinating. Wild hallucination where guess what? Adam Sandler plays the devil. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Coleman is is in there as well gary coleman of course has also passed on yes a lot of dead people in this film oh yeah and during the scene where mitch is hallucinating hell uh we get a song by the reverend horton heat uh titled marijuana of course let's go to a clip the Reverend Horton Heat, even though he did play at Sturgis this year. Oh, I'm a little God. mad at him about that. Um, and I had a brief obsession with him around the time that my stepdad left my mom, which is appropriate because the woman he left my mom for was Trailer Trash, and the Reverend Horton Heat kind of plays to that psycho Billy. Aha. Uh-huh. Mm. Um, this is sort of his version of tequila. Yeah, I can I can hear that. It's it's yeah. a little more manic than tequila, but I you but, know, I'm into it. I'm into the drums, definitely. Yeah, but this is like his play on it because you know, he plays like this wild thing and then yeah. it says marijuana. Exactly. So that's what he's doing. He's riffing tequila. Mm-hmm. Um this I feel like you could play this song if you wanted to illustrate um, what the Reverend Horton Heat sounds like if you played this. It's like, this is a perfect middle-of-the-road encapsulation Okay. for the Reverend Horton Heat. I like his album, It's Martini Time. That's my favorite of his. Okay, this is going to sound like I'm like I'm living under a rock, and I'm sorry. The only other time I've ever encountered the Reverend Horton Heat is when they appeared on the Drew Carey show and also on the, the soundtrack album to the Drew Carey show. That's... That makes sense. I always got Reverend Horton Heat and Mojo Nixon mixed up. Hmm, yeah. 
They kind of look like the, the two of them look the same a little bit. Yeah, and it's again that that weird psychobilly sound. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so they're looking they're looking around for jobs. They don't make it as construction workers, right? Um, and here we hear uh, Green Day's burnout as they're driving around uh, right before uh, Sam sees a movie line. And remember standing in line for movies? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> he moons them. And then Mitch just stops the car and walks off. <laughs> which is so fucking funny. But uh, the song. Pretty good game. Let's, uh, let's play a clip. I'm not growing up. I'm just. This was the Green Day song you could afford, I guess. Well, here's the thing. Every Green Day song sounds the same to me. I really cannot tell the difference between Basket Case and Burnout. I, I can't. I can't tell the difference between any Green Day song. I'm sound blind. Okay. I mean, I, I was a 12-year-old boy when, when Green Day was huge, and I studied them back to front, so I could... I can do this. I can tell. I can tell you the minute differences. Uh, burnout. I don't care. I don't think this is anyone's favorite Green Day song. I'll just go ahead and say it. It's okay. It could be mine. Uh, I don't know. It sounds like all the other ones. Like, sure, it sounds fine. It sounds like a Green Day. Green Day is the U two of upper middle class millennial boys. Yeah, they're fucking great. <laughs> nah, <laughs> not quite what I meant. But okay, explain the difference to me. Explain how this is different. I would love to know. Well, for, first of all, Burnout just straight up fucking starts like guitar, bass, and drums, boom, right out of the gate. Basket Case really kind of builds up to it for like a solid minute. And it's just, it's different. But I will say, you know, you're right. Every song on the Dookie album is basically about the same thing. So in that sense, yes, they're all the same song. But... I don't know. Burnout is just like, it's the start of the album. It's the one that kind of kicks things off. It's like, okay, Gary, I get it. You guys are angsty. You're quote unquote burnt out, but also eh, it's okay. Like I'm having a hard time actually with this one because I don't love this song. (laughs) I love a lot of Green Day songs, but this is, this ain't one of them, chief. And did they play this on the uh, Monsters of Megaphone tour or whatever you saw them on? The, the Granddaddies of Punk tour? No, they didn't. <laughs> I mean, it was a, that was that tour. This tour that they're on now is very much a play the hits tour. This was not one of the hits. This was not. They weren't like from our from the hit film Dirty Work. No, yeah. No, alas. I will say this: I didn't know what this song was. I had to go back and look it up, but I immediately nailed that it was Green Day. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean, I remember when I saw this movie for the first time like as soon as that drum beat hits and like oh man that's burnout i know this I, like i'm 13 years old and i know this. <laughs> it's and it's always kind of amazed me like wow they got that song in that movie and then as i get older and i, I learn things about music i'm like why'd they get this song for this movie probably because it's the one they could afford because that's sad. yeah because this movie but was... it's sad that it's not more pronounced yeah i mean it's not like there weren't like current green day songs they could have picked from 
you know, Green Day wasn't huge again in 1998 for some inexplicable reason. But uh, it's, it's kind of hard to take good riddance and plop it down in the middle of uh, a dirty work because it just plain would not fit. I mean, they could have used Nice Guys Finish Last, if not for the fact that Varsity Blues paid a lot more money for it. Yeah, that's Ooh. that's it right there. Like, Varsity Blues already had that locked down. <sighs> oh, I'd also managed to block Varsity Blues. Yikes. <laughs> Did I just forget most of 1998? Lucky me. I do specifically remember you saying, like, at least two or three years ago, we will never do an episode on Varsity Blues. We will never do an episode on Varsity Blues. Fuck Varsity Blues. So, like, as soon as you said that, you just memory-hold the whole movie, just just to make sure. Yeah, exactly. This was, this has been my entire, my grand plan to get you to remember Varsity Blues. Trap oh, I don't want your life, Joe. <laughs> Uh, good call. That was the whole I I That's set up for that. The whole back bit. when I made my <laughs> that many episodes ago. And then of course we had the one one of the best scenes in the movie where Sam and Mitch go to work in a movie theater for the late great Don Rickles. Mm-hmm. And apparently, um, like Howard Stern would play this clip of him calling him a baby gorilla. So there you are, Tubby. Ah, you look like a fucking alert on a bad day. You baby gorilla. Why don't you work a zoo and stop bothering people? Got a call yesterday from Baskin Robbins. They said that they're down to only five flavors. You're swelling up as I talk to you. Look at you. How's this? How's it doing? Hello, ice cream. Having a good time? <laughs> Running around? He would play it with Artie in the studio a lot. God, that just sounds like torture. Like, I know it was a joke, but, like, to, to make fun of him like that and repeatedly play that song, that scene? No, I guess I guess he loved uh, it. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, he was into it. I don't, um, I don't know how much I could take of that, but okay. <laughs> I mean, Howard Stern just always seemed like one of those things where it's just like, I don't understand why anybody could just stand to, like, listen to the guy or hear the guy. Me neither. No. Me neither. Um, but... Apparently, people people do. This guy in my office is always like, oh, and on Howard. Like, okay, don't call him Howard. You're not friends. <laughs> but he was actually the one that, that told me about uh, about that. So that, that goes out to uh, to David, Maybe. who coincidentally is the person who didn't like the Muppets in last week's episode. Oh, my God. That guy. Of course. Yeah. But they hatch a plan uh, to embarrass Don Rickles. Um I don't even remember what his character's name is. Hamilton. Hamilton. I should know that. Um, they're going to put up a film called Men in Black who like to have sex with each other to frighten everyone. Now, I understand that the joke here is nobody wants to see gay men having sex, which is not a nice joke. No. However, I think this joke, unlike a lot of the other ones, can still read in 2021 because if you went into a theater and you were non-consensually shown an adult film, you would also be horrified. Oh, yeah. Here's here's the thing, though. So the movie starts out with, look, an alien. Yeah, let's have sex with each other. Hey, look, that alien looks like a hot guy. Yeah, let's have sex with it. They sat through the first sex scene. It was the second one that made them leave. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's it's men who love men, and I think that's beautiful. And I think I like to think the audience thought the same thing. When you bring in an alien, you're just like, I don't know, can yeah, that maybe, alien consent? I mean, maybe the, maybe the audience is really big into monogamy, and as soon as you get a third person, they're like, no, 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 thank you. I would like a refund. Listen, Men in Black really heightened our awareness of like you know alien rights. Okay, and aliens who look like hot guys, of course. <laughs> so like, Earth girls are easy. Hell yeah! I mean, yeah. Thank you for that, Jonathan. But 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 two like there's so many other like little gags surrounding that initial joke that like it's kind of hard to throw out the baby with the bathwater, you know? Like there's mm-hmm. too much else. Like again, like we said earlier with like the magazine cover that has just that really crappy sort of production to it. Like just the title card, Men in Black who like to have sex with each other, in that boring like Ariel Sans Serif font. No <laughs> effort went into that. No. It looks like the default title card you'd make in Windows Movie Maker in, like, 2002. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this also, we haven't talked about this yet, but Mitch tends to make notes to himself. Yes. And the note he makes here is, note to self, Sam just looked at the screen. <laughs> Which, again, horrible gay joke. Yeah. But I, I did want to make a note of note to self. Mm-hmm. But they collect cash from everybody. And an idea is born, and they open up dirty work. We once again see Kathy, who works for uh, Anton Phillips, a dirty car, dirty used car dealer played by David Koechner, who very shortly would go on to great fame and fortune uh, uh, in the film Anchorman. Mm-hmm. Now, he is doing a live TV commercial, which is something that people did not do in 1998, but we're just going to go with it. They probably hadn't uh, done them for for 30 years before 1998. Yes. But Mitch has this idea of how to get them a commercial. And he hires a bunch of sex workers to hide in the trunks. <laughs> and then asks about the trunk. As you can see, friend, it's not small. It's a big trunk. I'll show you right here. Well, you got a dead hooker in the trunk. What? No! It can't be. Yes, it was. It was a dead hooker. It wasn't a dead hooker! Pal, I know a dead hooker when I see one. We also find out that this is the sex worker who bit off Jimmy's nose. Yes, of course. He goes to find her. Like, um, like did, did, that, did that need to be a character in the movie? Did we need to have that joke pay off at all? No, but it went the extra mile. It, it did. It honestly did. And we're gonna, but so we're gonna hold that in our heart. Yes, but so the long and short of it is, dirty work is off and running, and they're making money doing, uh, getting revenge for people about town, and they come to the attention of a a an industrialist named Travis Cole, uh, Chris- played by professional heel Christopher McDonald, Shooter McGavin himself. Yes, if you've goose from Greece too. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. If you've ever read uh, Bruce Campbell's autobiography. There's an entire chapter in that book about how Christopher McDonald constantly keeps stealing roles from him. Because, because every role in the, in the mid to late 90s that Christopher McDonald plays, Bruce Campbell was like almost, almost like called for that role. And then oh. he just like swooped in and took it. Bruce is apparently really salty about that. <laughs> and, and I think he even mentions nice. dirty work. Like he might have been in dirty work. Uh, I don't think anybody could do it better than Christopher McDonald. Oh, no, he's great. He's fucking so. great. But uh, so, yeah, uh, Cole hires Mitch and Sam to destroy a building for him 
that he plans to turn into a parking lot for the city's opera house. Because you know he loves opera. Yes. <laughs> of course. That's the one thing I know about Travis Coles. That man loves opera. To do it, it'll cost him $50,000. And so they do it. They destroy the building. Mm-hmm. And that is set to the tune of ACDC's Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. Let's go to a clip. ACDC? Yeah, how do you not love this song? <laughs> this is not my favorite ACDC song. Oh, come on. on. No, because there's You Shook Me All Night Long, and honestly, my favorite ACDC song is Money Talks. I mean, my, my heart is big enough to house multiple ACDC songs. Yes, uh, although on this podcast, I would have to say Gone Shootin'. Well, yeah. But I Do America it's, is a better song. It's number one, for sure. And number two may or may not be It's a Long Way to the Top, but number three, come on. It's got to be Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. Maybe well, we'll... and you can't have this movie without it. No, I mean, it's, it's... It's a little on the nose, but it's perfection. It, it, it's, it's perfection, and it works so well, and it's such a good montage, too. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things during this montage is that they're throwing cherry bombs down toilets. And my mom's first husband, Jeff, was a high school toilet bomber in such a fashion. And my mom um, used to live in Oklahoma City. Jeff still lives out there. Um, so when my mom moved to Cobleskill, where I grew up, uh, she enrolled me in preschool. And my preschool teacher, it turned out, was also from Oklahoma City. And my mom bonded with her. And it turned out that my teacher had gone to school with Jeff. And my mom said, oh, well, that um, my first husband went to that school. And they, you know asked the name and said well it was um jeff gilmore and my preschool teacher this very little darling woman said you married the toilet bomber (laughs) yes wow yes she did my mom and jeff are still good friends so jeff's a good dude but he was a toilet bomber (laughs) that monster i think of him when i see this scene um but it turned while it is good to earn, like, a nickname, you try to avoid ones that have toilet in them, no matter what the context. Yeah. Yeah, you do. I don't know, like, what else to say about Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. It's, I mean, it's it's a cue that, like, it's obvious, but also, yeah, like, if it wasn't there, you'd be like, well, why did they not play it? Yeah. Like, they didn't play Dirty Work by Steely Dan. I'm still gonna, I'm gonna be salty about this. Yeah, I think that, I think it could have done with, like, a absolutely doesn't need to exist like pop punk cover of it yeah get green day to do it i don't even care but um i do like that they went with the original artist that they and i think because it didn't have a soundtrack album there wasn't the pressure to have new songs recorded for it because this would have been perfectly ripe for some garbage band to record a cover of it you know like a canadian pop punk band would have done it it's too early for a simple plan, but yeah. we knew they were lying in wait. Oh my god. Could you imagine like bare naked ladies doing d- dirty deeds done dirt cheap? Don't threaten me. 
I mean, I know they were also blowing up in 1998, but like that's a slam dunk if there ever was one. I guess the people who made Dirty Work just didn't like money. Yeah. You could have sold that soundtrack on the virtues of that nightmare alone. And it would be it would still be on like every top ten list of like worst soundtrack decisions ever made. Yeah. And it would still and be it making sold money. A billion copies. And you'd find it in the uh the used bin next to the friends soundtrack. And 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 like a million weirdos out there would be like, actually this is the best one. <laughs> Bunch of pitchfork articles about it. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Rolling Stone would find a way to put it on that new five hundred list. We're making a horrible, horrible alternate nineteen ninety eight. Listen, listen I've, I've seen minute. I've seen that new Marvel What If show. The whole thesis is, what if everything was the same but terrible? Yikes. I know. It's awful. So. But it turns out that Cole doesn't own the building. Oh, no. Yes. And now here's where Mitch's notes come into play because he, he gets it all on tape. But Mitch, I don't even own the building in 99 Franklin. I told you I did, but I lied. Good luck trying to prove it. Bitch. Not only did he lie about owning that building, but that building was where Kathy's grandmother lives. Yes. She ran a sewing business out of her home. <laughs> Which Mitch automatically assumed was a brothel. Yes. <laughs> we also have the reveal in this because they're not going to get Pops as hard. They didn't get the $50,000. And Pops finally has to come clean that... Mitch is his son. Uh, he wears a locket with a picture of Sam's mom. Or sorry, Ugh. he wears a picture. He wears a locket with a picture of him and Mitch's mom having sex, like you do. And Sam, of course, exclaims, "You know, we were cheating on mom." He's like, "No, who do you think took the picture?" Which I think, you know, way to be sex positive. I mean, yeah, Pops is more progressive than they kind of give him credit for until he isn't. Yeah, well, he's just using, you know, the vernacular that he has at hand. He could stand to be, you know, better person, but we sometimes we have to meet people where they are. But, you know, so it turns out they're brothers. And that's kind of nice. Yeah. It takes a little while for them to warm up to it. But, you know, they realize that they can be in this together. And we head into the big final scenes of the film. Mm -hmm. Take it away, Joe. So Mitch and Sam hatch a scheme to get back at Cole by ruining the opera that Cole so so loves so much. Uh, And they do this. This is a multi-pronged revenge scheme. They hire the tenants of the apartment building to help uh, staff this event. They bring pops in to just harass the actors they have the brownies to poison the actual opera staff they bring in the homeless guys to go into the the audience and fart a bunch basically oh they have a loyal army of prostitutes of course of course (laughs) as one does who who i assume are also are still getting paid 20 bucks Mm -hmm. for their services (laughs) and then of course uh mitch loads up the house pa system with his his uh, little tape deck full of notes yes but we left off one crucial member of the staff <laughs> jimmy <laughs> jimmy has the skunks that are going to invade the opera house and jimmy delivers probably my favorite line of the entire film fellas you've heard the old saying that in the land of the blind the man with one eye is king 
Well, today in the land of the skunks, the man with half a nose is king. <laughs> Sing the song, boy. <laughs> Sing the song. <laughs> Chris Farley left. You know, Chris Farley left us too soon, and it was a tragedy that he died. But man, like he really left us with one last great performance. Really, yeah. all in. Oh, man, boy. committed. So they ruin the opera. And yes. Travis Cole is forced to confront his crimes. Uh, they go all over the house PA system about how he ruined the building, uh, how he committed fraud, and he is arrested in front of everyone. Yes. And... Shame is brought to him. Mitch and Sam are exonerated. They save the day, and they get $50,000. Well, Sam and I got great new jobs. Pop's got his heart, and I got the girl. Oh, and Dr. Farthing? Well, he got over his gambling problem, but the bookies beat him to death anyway. So he's dead. That's it. Bye. It really is a shame that this didn't get a soundtrack album. It's not the best soundtrack we've ever covered, but it fit into the landscape of the soundtrack scene in 1998. Yeah, it really does paint a picture of where kind of rock music was at the time. Like, you had, you had your kind of pop rock hits... You had a little bit of classic rock. You had a little bit of just the the out there stuff with Reverend Horton Heat. And, you know, we didn't even cover, we didn't even talk about uh, KMFDM, who are apparently in the film somewhere. Yes. Not sure where. Not but... entirely sure. But they do exist. We'll probably play that song over the end credits of this podcast, which definitely has end credits. What am I talking about? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's... Not, I mean, I, I don't think this would have been a, a a bad soundtrack album if they had released it as such. No, it wouldn't have been a big hit, but it would have moved a couple of units. Um, if they had, I think the problem is that it didn't have like a breakout hit. It really was just other songs that you already have on other albums. Now, if they had channeled a little more they put a little more money in they might have had a song that would have set it apart and that could have been that flex tune yeah um that could have been a cover as we said of something like dirty deeds under cheap or dirty work um you could have had a lot of fun with it you could have gone sort of thematic the way that the flintstones did yeah yeah definitely um so i'm not really sure hell I mean, it's called Dirty Work. Why is there not like a minute work song on the album or in the film? Mm. Would that have been too obvious? I don't know. We already did. We already got Dirty Deeds done dirt cheap. Like obvious is not a problem. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, so I I wish I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about this. I wish we could have done it a little more in an official capacity, which I think is why we put this one off for so long. Because you and I had talked about doing this yeah, we, we've, for a while, but with no soundtrack album. Yeah, we've, we've, we've always kind of limited ourselves to, like, soundtracks we can actually physically purchase and, and you know, like, artifacts that we can actually discuss. This is mm -hmm. more just, this is a collection of songs that are in the film, and they don't necessarily have any cohesion as a, a an album and like a track listing. It's just, yeah, this is 1998 in movie form. Yeah, now that's what I call 1998. There it is. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, the more I think about it, like the the 
more I do think the the big missed opportunity here is there's not a bare naked ladies cover of of Seely Dan because that or ACDC. Uh, I I'm thinking like, about we would have hated it. We would but... have hated it. Would have been a, a a it would have been the centerpiece of our discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so the fact that there's not something like that on this really does. It, it it does kind of point to this being a pretty low budget production. They didn't they didn't really have much of a uh, a music sort of theme going on here. Mm-hmm. Which is, oh well, which is fine. Our loss, I guess. But I think it was appropriate to pay tribute to to the late great Norman. Oh, McDonald. of course. And you know, final final thoughts about the film, I guess. You know, watching it this time, yeah, certain jokes don't uh, age well. Certain jokes are going to be timeless. You know, there's just something something so, like, dry about Norm Macdonald's delivery and the way he sort of constructs jokes that I think I'm always going to find funny. Yes, and does this appeal to my, you know, crasser instincts? Yes. Will I always laugh at his delivery? Forever and always. 100%. Jonathan, uh, parting thoughts? This movie doesn't have any right to be as enjoyable as it is. It's by all means a dumb failed SNL breakoff movie, even if they fired him before it came out. And it really fucking sucks that Normagall passed away. And it, I, I guess it's a little better that he kind of didn't tell anybody because... Honestly, the shock is a little easier to handle than like a nine-year, you know, time bomb, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think the the memorial pieces that would have come out before he even died would have been unbearable. And like he wouldn't have wanted that. No, he would have hated that. Um, but hopefully, we've done him some honor here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and <laughs> if if you're interested, if you're if you haven't seen Dirty Work before, and and us painting a picture of it has interested you it's available now right now on hbo max if you want to go watch it yeah um it's a it's a short 80 minutes it's a breeze um so crack open a cold one and, and have a good time and uh reminisce about the good old days with norm yes indeed so joe what are we doing next week next week i swear we promise gross point blank is coming yes with uh mackenzie cassidy so it will be a little bit of a uh Cobleskill Richmondville High School, class of 2001 reunion. Any chance I can get to discuss Faith No More some more, I will take it. I'll happily have it. So, uh, And Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. It's been Yes, a, always a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a fun time. Uh, Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me over on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. Or you can catch me over on the Shattered Shield podcast. We're winding it down. Two episodes left. All right. Jonathan, where can they find you? Uh, Final Fantasy fourteen Primal Data Center. Let's play Mahjong. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Joe, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Cordial Wombat. You can hear me. Uh, yell about Christmas movies with J- with Jonathan here on the Christmas Creeps podcast at Christmas Creeps. Uh, we don't necessarily know what our next episode is because we are uh, fickle creatures and our plans changed from day to day. Uh, <laughs> we might be discussing the movie Deck the Halls next. We might be discussing a- another Christmas cartoon featuring Norm MacDonald next. We honestly don't know. 
I think you have to now. <laughs> I mean, it it's 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 a long week. They could release a couple more like Santa Buddies movies. <laughs> you, you never know. That's, that's the fun part about Christmas movies. Anything can happen. But uh, if you want to to contact us about anything, questions or comments or recommendations for uh, soundtracks you'd like us to cover, you can email those to us at ostpartypod on at gmail.com. And you can tweet at us at OST Party on Twitter. Um, so that's going to do it for the OST Party. Uh, I've been Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. And I'm Johnny Five, the human robot. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. <laughs> <laughs>